Good morning, church. Merry Christmas to you. I changed the pulpit because that one is not stable. So I don't want to fall over with the heavy Bible. So this is more stable. Okay, it's important. So welcome all of you, uh, those who come back from out of town, uh, coming back for reunion dinner, for Christmas celebration, uh, you know, coming to the church for the first time. Just wonderful to see all of you here coming together to celebrate Christmas. Um, before I go into the message, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure, okay? You can't assume that anymore that people know how to celebrate Christmas. You can't assume that uh, that people understand what is Christmas. So I just want to put on that PowerPoint uh, with the two scriptures there. Can you load it on my uh, PowerPoint? Is it there? No? Okay, let me just find it in the Bible and read it to you. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 20 to 23, as you prepare to celebrate Christmas, as you get together as a family, I just want to make sure that this message really come across to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I just want to make sure that I read this passage to you before I preach from the other passage, because this is the reason why we have Christmas. And this is the reason why we gather together as a family to celebrate for Christmas, is to remember the birth of Christ. And the reason that he came was because he wants to save his people from their sins. And that's why we have Christmas. So again, Merry Christmas to you, but get this across to you, get this message as we continue to celebrate together. We have been preaching uh, an Advent series since November, and we trace for you God's plan of redemption for mankind. So we started with Adam and Eve and how sin, the fall of Adam and Eve, and how sin entered into this world. And then we moved to Noah's flood and ark, that God gave human a second chance. And then we spoke on God's covenant with Abraham to build a nation and, and multiply and be a blessing of other nations. And then from there, we moved to Israelites. They multiply in large numbers in Egypt. And even though they have gone through oppressions and bondage, but God liberated them, delivered them, uh, and we call that experience Exodus, to come out of Egypt to establish a new nation. And then from there, we expounded on God's covenant with David, where one of David's descendants will sit on the throne and rule forever. And Isaiah, the prophet, in Isaiah chapter 53, prophesies that Jesus is the coming Messiah and who will sit on the throne of David forever. No human being can sit forever. Only God, the Son of God. So Jesus is the coming Messiah who will sit on the throne of David forever. And today... I want to preach on the arrival, the coming of Jesus Christ, because the time has come. Okay, uh, In Galatians 
chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Um, I don't know if you have the PowerPoint. If not, then I'll just speak from the passage here. Okay. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7 gives you an, 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 a picture of Christ comes. He comes into the world with all the prophecies and with all the anticipation. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. If you have the Bible, please turn to that. If you have your cell phone with the Bible in there, please turn to that and we'll expound on this passage together. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Uh, the Bible says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And that's the passage I want to say with you. And that's the PowerPoint. And that's the message uh, that I was reading to you, the, the reason of Christmas. And then with that, We come to the first point of the message. We were enslaved. Okay, if you see that passage there, with the two verses there, it says, I mean that the heir, as long as, you know, he is using an analogy to describe something. The analogy is this. The heir, someone who will receive inheritance, he says, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Even though you are an heir, you receive inheritance, estate from someone, from your father, most likely. But when you are a child, he says, you are not different from a slave. You own nothing practically. You can't use that inheritance. Why? Because in verse 2 says, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. You are too young to handle it as a child. You may be deceived and people take advantage of you. You may make a wrong decision and invest poorly and you lose everything. So as a wise father who want to pass on the estate to the son, he sets a date and usually a legal age, right? 21, 25, 30, okay? Then you have the full access to whatever is given to you. But before that, when you were a child, you were like a slave. A slave owns nothing. A slave has no say in whatsoever possessions, properties, assets that the owners have. You have no rights whatsoever. So... If you are an heir, but you are underage, you are too young to handle it, you are just like a slave. You own nothing. So this is the analogy. Now, Paul begins to apply that into our lives in the next slide. 
Verse 3 says, in the same way, in the same way, we also, like us, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When we were children, when we don't know how to make decisions, when we don't make the right discernments, just like the slaves, we own nothing, we can't, you know, make full use of whatever is being given to us. In, in our former days, when we were children, and to say that to the Galatians Christians, Paul was basically saying, in your pre-Christian years, before you become a child of God, before you become sons of God, before you truly understand salvation by faith, okay, you were just like the analogy that I described. Okay? You were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What was that? What is that elementary principles of the world? And that enslaved an individual away from trusting in the Lord by faith. And that elementary principles of the world was basically salvation by works. Reconciliation with God by human effort. Trying to earn your own favor. Trying to find merits. Hoping that your own merits can be accepted by God and therefore you are able to be reconnected, reconciled with God the Father. That's the elementary principles of the world. And to be more specific, to the Galatian Christians in their former years, in their former days, before they became Christians, it was the law, the Moses law, the Mosaic law, the, the sacrifices in the temple. The observance of the Sabbath. The observance of circumcision. All these things, all these human efforts would not be able to save them. Would not be able to bring them back to the Father. Those were the former days. Those were the elementary principles of the world. And you know what? It it is actually very attractive to human beings. Why? Because it feeds our ego. It makes us feel useful. That we don't owe God anything. That we are the captain of our souls. That I'm the master of my life. I can do it on my own. Even salvation. Even peace with God. I can do it on my own. You know? It puts us on equal par with God. So that we can negotiate. Okay, God, you know, I want to be right with you. Can I do it this way? Well, you take one step back. I'll take one step back. Let's negotiate. 60, 40, 30, 70, 50, 50, 55, 45. What about, you know, then I can on stand on an equal par with God. And that makes you feel good. It's very humanistic. You see, by nature, we are selfish. By nature, we feed into our ego. By nature, we want to be God of our lives captain of our souls, master of our own lives. And that's how we have atheism. Because if I don't want to face and encounter issues of God, I just eliminate God. Okay, Delete, trash. Delete, into the trash. Okay, You go to the trash and delete some more, it's gone forever. Just make God disappear. That's a good way that I don't have to deal with God. There's no more vocabulary about God. There's no thinking about God. I don't have to deal with God. 
and that's one kind of lifestyle for people to get away from God. It's atheism. There's no God. What is that lifestyle? That lifestyle is whatsoever. Whatever. There's no future. There's no eternal life. There's no God. There's no uh, retributions. I do whatever I want. You die, you die. That's it. And that's one kind of a way to get away from God. That's the principle of the world. Elementary principle of the world. The other way is to get into pantheism. That yes, there is God, but there are so many gods. There are all kinds of gods. I can worship all of them. All of them. It's like in Acts chapter 17, when Paul was in the city of Athens, right? They saw this God, you know, unknown God. Just in case I miss you, I know this God and this God and this God and this God. I worship them. I have an altar for them. I offer incense. I offer all this food and all this stuff for them to make sure that they are at peace with me. They are happy with me. But just in case I miss someone, okay, I have this unknown God. And whatever I miss, that's part of it. Unknown God. And I make sure I cover all. <laughs> that's another way of dealing with God. But that brings a lot of confusions. Another way we deal with God is we create God. That's most likely we in the Western world getting into very secular post-Christian era and, 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 and in a very logical and scientific way. That's most probably most of us fall into that is we create our own God. In the Bible, it's called idol worship. You are looking for your kind of God. Okay? Uh, you are looking for God who serves you. That's the kind of God I want. Okay? That's the one of God I can define. That's the kind of God that I think is a God. And therefore, that's the God I worship. That's the God I create on my own. And that's called idol worship, you know, in the Bible. And you know what? Since you created God yourself, you are bigger than God. So you are God, actually. You are the big God. And those gods that you created are small gods. And that feeds into our ego very well. I am God. That's the elementary principle of the world. Try to get away from God. We try to avoid the issues. And we try to, to create confusions. Hoping that we don't have to connect with God. We find God in my turn, in my way, in my time. We were enslaved. And some of us are still enslaved in that manner. But secondly, we see that verses 4 and 5, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of women, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So we were enslaved, but... To the Galatians, we were also redeemed by God at the fullness of time. The time has come. You know, we preached for six sermons through Adam and Eve and through Noah and through David and through the Exodus and through Isaiah and through Abraham. They, all of them point to someone who will be coming to redeem mankind. To resolve the issues of sin and death that none has ever resolved. Philosophers, king, empire, 
dynasty, none has ever resolved. But the fullness of time has come. The fullness of time where the prophecy is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The fullness of time when for almost 400 years of silence, after the last prophet has spoken to the Israelites, Malachi, until the day Jesus came, 2,000 years ago, that 400 years of, we call it years of silence, not much happening, not much prophetic words, not much teaching, not much you know happenings in that nation. Now people began to respond and listen to God. The fullness of time where politically, socially, where the Roman Empire being so powerful, began to build roads and connect in the whole empire that was preparing the way for the gospel to be shared. Where the Roman peace, because of the mighty power of the military uh, of, of Roman Empire, it was relatively peaceful giving rise to the sharing of the gospel, to the missionary movements in the early church, where people were waiting in silence, in agony, in suffering for the Savior to come. And now they are thirsty and hungry after God's word. The fullness of time has come, and this is the time. So it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, that's the divinity of Christ. Born of women, that's the humanity of Christ. He's fully human, fully God. Born under the law, that's the humility of Christ that he identified with us, but never sinned. He gone through all the temptations and, uh, the, and, and, the, and the humanity, but never sinned so that he can be the perfect Lamb of God to be sacrificed on the cross. And to die on our behalf. And we call that incarnation. And we call that Emmanuel. God with us. Because he came to redeem us. To redeem those who were under the law. As the Bible says. See Jesus lived among us. He has experienced all that we have gone through. But never sinned. And at the fullness of time. He died on the cross on our behalf. Rose again in the third day. To save us who were under the curse of sin and death so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. At the fullness of time, we were redeemed. And when Jesus died on our behalf, he restores our dignity. That you are sons of God. You are daughters of God. You are being embraced into the kingdom of God. I, I really feel that you know, in our daily living today, as we go into more and more high tech, uh, we are we are basically a number uh, in the big data. Most of us, most of us, are uh, a data in the big data system, where you are being analyzed every day. Especially when you do online shopping, uh, you are being analyzed every day. Your buying pattern, uh, things that you love to buy, brands you love to buy, stores you like to frequent. Uh, how much you spent and how long uh, did you did you get into a commitment to buy something? You are being analyzed every day, all the time, under big data. And without this big data, artificial intelligence will be impossible. Without this big data, robotic technology will, will not be, uh, be possible. Uh, all the advancement that we see, 
you know, online shoppings and advertisements will just flood, flood your cell phone and flood your computer because you are being analyzed all the time. The, the permission has never been granted. You, you never get permission to do that, but you can't help it. You are part of the whole system. And sometimes you wonder, you know, what am I? Just a data? What am I? Just a number? What am I? Just someone where you can push all the commercials and push all the advertisements to let me buy things? What am I? But Christ comes so that you have life and have it abundantly. He calls you sons of God. He wants to bring you and restore your dignity, your values. And that's the preciousness of Christ coming into this world. And he comes not only for you and me, but for everybody. In Galatians chapter 3, that's the preceding passage, verses 26 to 28. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. That's not the elementary uh, doctrines of the world. That's postdoc. Christ died on your behalf so that you can trust in him by faith and receive salvation from God the Father and reconcile with God the Father. And verse 27 says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, you are part of the kingdom of God. And look at verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It goes beyond the cultural aspects. Okay? It goes beyond the social aspects. It goes beyond the gender aspects that we can all be included in Christ and becoming uh, a child of God. And that's a great news that we have during Christmas time. So we were redeemed. So we, we, we were uh, redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross to die on our behalf. And that's a great news. And then thirdly, he says we are sons and heirs of God. Okay, verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And you attend that inheritance not through the basic elementary principles of the world by earning your favor and merits doing on your own, but by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you become a son of God, and if a son, then an heir through Christ. You receive the full blessings of God. So I just want to point you to something more, uh, very important, that when we say sons of God, Paul was not focusing on gender, and neither on masculinity. When he says sons of God, he's talking about relationship with God. And that's why in chapter 3, Verses tw- verse 28, he says, you know, all are included. Whether you are free or slave, whether you are Greek or you are, you are, you are a Gentile or a Jew, or whether you are male or female, you are all included in that sons of God relationship. That's what he's trying to focus on. And how do you know that you have that sons of, you have become a son of God and be embraced by God? He says, you'll be filled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God will be in you and He will help you. He will inspire you to call out to God in the most intimate way, calling God Abba, Father. 
It's like calling Papa. It's like calling Daddy. As that intimacy we have in Christ through the Spirit's inspiration that we know for sure that we are sons of God. Whether male or female, we are sons of God. We fully enjoy the inheritance given to you right now because you are sons of God. You are an heir through God. And what does it mean? It means you have full access now. You have full access to the inheritance. You have full access to pray to God. You have full access to worship God and to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You have full access to understand and let by the Spirit into the truth, the Bible. And you have full access and enjoyment to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Because the church are those who are redeemed by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, we belong now. We belong. And that's that's the Christmas message. We belong to the kingdom of God. We belong. In other words, the world's biggest Starbucks store, the world's biggest Starbucks store is not in Seattle. It is in Shanghai. It just opened in December a few weeks ago. You know how big it is? 29,000 square feet. 29,000 square feet Starbucks in Shanghai. And they employ 400 employees. Okay? It's a huge, huge store. You know, it's strange in China, it's a tea drinking culture, right? It drinks tea all the time, green tea, poor tea, all kinds of teas, right? Now, coffee drinking, it's taking, you know, tractions right now. It's, it's a trend right now. There are 3,000 Starbucks stores in China right now. And in four years time, they want to grow into 5,000. That means every 15 hours, it's a new Starbucks pop up in China. We want to see this. Every 15 hours. And before this day is over, almost two stores, two new stores, you know, will be planted in somewhere, some cities uh, in China. And at the opening ceremony of that biggest store in Shanghai, you know, New York Times reporter will go around, take pictures, talk to people, ask people about experiences and things like that. I, I think, you know, there was this Mr. Her, Mr. Her, uh, responded to the questions of the reporters. Why do you come? Why do you come to Starbucks? I, I think he, he speaks well. He said, sometimes I brew at home. I bought this Starbucks coffee bean and brew it, do it on my own. I brew at home. But it feels lonely. That's why I'm here. And I know not everybody likes Starbucks coffee. Okay? And some likes other brands. And maybe they are not the best coffee in the world. But why are people flocking to Starbucks store? And why is China Starbucks growing amazingly almost two new stores every day? I think that speaks it all. It's not about that gourmet coffee or quality of the coffee. It, it, Starbucks is not selling that coffee. Starbucks is selling a feeling of community. Starbucks is selling connections. Starbucks is selling friendship. Let's get together. Starbucks is a platform for millennials, for young people, for younger people, for older people, for middle-aged people like me. We come and connect. Because you can brew your coffee at home, but it feels kind of lonely. Starbucks is about relationship. 
And that's why it grows so fast and so much globally. I mean, in the U.S., we may not like it anymore. We may not go back to that anymore. But it is taking off crazy in many parts of the world because they were looking for that relationships because it feels lonely to brew it in your home by yourself. And that's what Starbucks is selling. And that's about Christmas today. That Jesus comes to build a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. Come home to me. It's that relationship. So the message today is Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan for redemption of mankind. The plan is not ABCs. The plan is not send, send someone else. The plan is not, you know, go through a strategy. The plan is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the plan. So when we talk about the plan of salvation, we are not seeing an execution of a process. It is Jesus Christ is the plan. God sends a person, fully God and fully man, to come so that we can be reconnected with God. And today, we just want to encourage you to consider John chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. He says, he was in the world, Jesus was in the world, but the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came, but not everybody received him, not everybody opened to him. Okay, And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But in verse 12, he says, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is inviting us to have a relationship with him and to be reconnected with him. I don't know how you celebrate Christmas. I think there are three kinds of Christmases uh, in, in our land. One is the cultural Christmas. In cultural Christmas, it says, I will give you a tradition. Okay. Reunion dinner, get together, I'll be home for Christmas, Santa Claus, Rudolph, Reynolds, reindeer, something like that. Uh, turkey dinner, uh, white Christmas, silver bell, jingle bell, and all this stuff. Oh, so, such sweet memories you carry with you every year. Come together, it builds culture, it builds tradition. That's the cultural Christmas. And some of you only go for that. There's another kind of Christmas. That's the Commercial Christmas. Commercial Christmas says, I'll buy you a gift. And the highlight of the commercial Christmas is a Christmas day. You come around that tree and then open up all the gifts. Oh, so sweet of you. Why do you know I need this? Oh, it's so nice of you to give me this. Oh, thank you. I love this gift. Give you a Isn't that sweet? In commercial Christmas, I'll buy you a gift. Just Buy, you know, and, and, and through the experience, you know, uh, retail therapy, you know, it, it really helps people to connect, right? Oh, I got my stuff and you get your stuff. And you know what? For me, most of the time, I can't eat those chocolates. I can't eat those sweet pies and all this stuff. Okay. And, and all the stuff that you get, most of the time, you put it in a storage. And it may not see daylight again. But it might, it might. We have too much. So the commercial Christmas says, I'll buy your gifts, I'll buy your stuff. But today we want to offer you the Christian Christmas. 
the biblical Christmas. And the biblical Christmas is when Jesus says, I will be your Savior. I want to be your Savior. And that's the Christmas we as a church offers you. Not we, but the King of Heavens. He came down and build a relationship with you. I want to be your Savior. And would you open your hearts to Him? But to all who did receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. And that's the reason we celebrate Christmas in a church. And that's the reason we wanted to remember that Christmas is about Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this really, really joyful time of seeing so many friends and relatives and coming back together to celebrate Christmas. But teach us and reminds us that it is about Christ, Jesus Christ. So as we celebrate, help us to focus on Jesus Christ and make sure we always remember to give thanks to our Lord for He is truly our gift during Christmas season. And Father, I pray for many who hear the gospel message for the first time, others who may hear it for many times, I pray tonight, today that it makes sense to them. I pray today that as you extend your invitation to them to build a relationship, I pray that they will also extend their hearts to receive you into, because as they receive you into their hearts, they will be called sons of God. They will be called children of God. We pray that this will happen to us today as we Respond to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.